Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. All right. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Anthology, a Seattle-based startup that was formerly known as Poachable. Anthology enables employed tech professionals to explore new career opportunities anonymously. My guest, along with his co-founder, originally launched a startup called Yabli, a consumer-to-consumer advice site. When that business didn't get traction, the team pivoted to launch Poachable and then later renamed that to Anthology. The company has raised around $1.8 million to date, and its investors include Vulcan Ventures. And the companies recruiting through Anthology include Amazon, Microsoft, Netflix, Dropbox, Facebook, and the list goes on. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. So today I'd like to welcome Tom Leong. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Omer. I'm excited to have this conversation. Awesome. Okay, so let's start by getting a success quote from you. What, 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 what is there a favorite quote that, that drives and motivates you to do what you do? Absolutely. Uh, it's often used, so I'm sure your audience has heard it before, but Wayne Gretzky uh, once said, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And I've, I've tried to live by that uh, logic and reasoning, um, especially since you know when I was uh, younger, I didn't have a lot of confidence. I probably didn't try as many things as I should have. 
And over the years, I've learned just in life and, and in, certainly in business, if you don't take a shot at something, then uh, you definitely are not going to achieve it. So you are a, a former Microsoftie like myself, and uh, also you spent some time over at Google. And working in those kinds of companies, uh, you know, it's no walk in the park. There's a lot of challenges and, and, and headaches that come with, with working on any, any major project in, a, in an organization like that. But at least you have the, the security of uh, a paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about not having that confidence of not having tried more earlier, um, what pushed you to go down the entrepreneurial track? You know, it's, it's something that I had always wanted to do since I was very young. And I had done all these things to prepare myself to be uh, the founder and CEO of a company. So, you know, I, I started out in management consulting thinking I would be a good way to, uh, you know, learn about business. And then I went to business school. Then I worked at Microsoft and then I worked at someone else's venture back startup and then Google. And then I worked at a small cap company. And at some point I looked up and I realized I was, uh, you know, I was in my late thirties and I, I hadn't yet started a company. And I thought, well, you know, at some point you just have to go for it. And, uh, you know, luckily I had sort of enough uh, financial resources saved up to kind of fuel a, uh, a entrepreneurial journey. And um, so I think it was hard uh, earlier days because I think I was always in checking the box mode, like building the resume, thinking that, oh, I actually remember having breakfast with a VC once when I was, I think I was still at Google. And I said, oh, you know, how do you guys um, pick CEOs for your, for your startups that kind of need more uh, adult supervision? <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, he was going to say, well, we look for really smart people like you, Tom. And, <laughs> and, and he didn't. Uh, he said, well, you know, the best CEOs are people who've done it before, who've run companies and ideally who've founded and scaled companies. And that was kind of a revelation to me because I think up until then, from a career point of view, I had been very much focused on getting all the right logos, you know, if you will, on my, on my resume. And, uh, and, and that, that conversation kind of brought to light, you know, if you, if you want to be good at, at running a startup, you got to run a startup. (laughs) And so that combined yeah. with my uh, my entrepreneurial clock ticking uh, caused me to to make that leap uh, back in 2012. Wow. Okay, l- let's uh, let's get into the details of anthology. I want to make sure that everyone listening understands more about the business and and how it's it's you know the value prop is different to what else is out there in the market today. So can you just give us a sort of a, uh, maybe a better explanation than I did of what anthology is and the problem that you're trying to solve? Sure. So the big problem we're trying to solve is that there's a, a great amount of inefficiency in how labor gets distributed across companies. And specifically, most of the people changing jobs are these active job seekers who are 
very unhappy with their current job or they're out of work. Um, but in reality, the best person for a job may be in another job and, but they're just very busy and they don't want to send the wrong signal to their current employer and appear to be one foot out the door. And so it creates this problem where, you, you know, there are certain dots that should be connected, but they're not because of these artificial barriers. Uh, and the main one being time and, uh, and privacy. So what we've done with Anthology is we've built this platform that allows employed people to create private uh, – so it's not like your LinkedIn profile. No one can see it. Your colleagues can't see it. Even other recruiters uh, can't see it until uh, we identify a match that you approve. But based on all of this private information, we can then more intelligently identify opportunities that really meet your requirements. And just as importantly, where your background, skills, and experience, education meet the requirements of the employer. And so it turns out that in reality, there's really at any given time only a few opportunities that are really kind of uh, uh, two-way matches where you know we think the member would really like the employer and the employer would really like the member. And then what happens after that is the platform makes it very easy for the member to initially express interest anonymously, protecting their identity from being exposed, waiting for the employer to reciprocate interest based on their anonymous profile, and then we can progressively uh, reveal more and more information until ultimately we make a direct introduction and and they have a, a quick phone call. Okay, I want to talk about how you came up with the idea for this business, but let's kind of go back to 2012 when you launched Yabli, um, because I think it's a really interesting story on on the process that you guys went through to get to where you are today. Um, so you you started out in 2012 launching uh, this startup with the idea of this uh, consumer-to-consumer advice site. Um, but things, you, you just didn't get the traction on that business. And w- when did you when did you realize that this business was going to struggle? Oh, man. I think it, it, there wasn't like, I mean, the big, the big sort of cold water in your face realization was uh, at the end of um, 2014, or maybe it was 13, let's say 12, uh, maybe it was the end of 13, when we realized we were not going to be able to raise any more money. Uh, up until then, we had been pretty effective at raising uh, angel capital. So I think for Yabli, we raised one and a half million in about 500k chunks. So we were always able to buy ourselves more time just by, you know, showing some milestones and telling good story and, you know, suggesting that, well, you know, we're just on the cusp, yada, yada. And after about uh, two years, we, I think our investors said, hey, you know, you can't be continuously on the cusp. (laughs) And, you know, we're not, we're not going to keep giving you more money. And, uh, and prior to that, I think we were always very good at, um, sort of, uh, 
convincing ourselves that, uh, that, oh, this, this one new feature or this new partnership is going to be the big deal or this new growth hack is going to change everything. And, uh, it, it didn't cause we, we tried it all. And, and then when the investor said no more money, um, we were kind of, you know, didn't have any choice, but to either close the company, sell the company or, or, or try a, try a Hail Mary. Why do you think you guys didn't get product market fit with Yabli? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a topic that we discussed a lot over those, over that period of time. And, you know, Yabli conceptually is pretty cool. It was like Quora meets consumer reports, you know, it was this kind of community platform for making practical decisions and getting advice from like-minded people and, there was this kind of like karma and reputation system. And, um, you know, sometimes I actually still miss Yabli because, you know, I'll be in the market for a product and, and wish there were a way for me to kind of get that, uh, kind of authentic community feedback that's customized for me. But to answer your question, I think the reason we never got product market fit was, uh, number one, I don't know that the problem we were solving was big enough. I mean, it was big. Like you could convince yourself it was big by saying, well, people spend a trillion dollars a year buying products. And if 10% of those products idea uh, decisions are bad, the economy is wasting, you know, a hundred billion dollars a year. Like you could make, you can make all these arguments about how the size of the problem, but that's not really the way I think in hindsight I now look at how big of a problem is. Now I look at it by saying, you know, is there someone out there, or better yet, are there tons and tons and tons of people out there who are really in huge uh, physical pain or emotional pain or intellectual pain over this problem? And when you think about product purchasing decisions, yeah, people may say, oh, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of annoying having to pick the right coffee maker or the right car or the right lawnmower, but they don't really curse about it. You know, if you think about calling for a taxi before Uber, you know, that was really a big pain in the butt and it really uh, uh, caused a lot of stress. Like, oh, are they going to show up? I'm going to miss my next meeting and, you know, where the heck is this car? And so I think, number one, product purchasing is not a migraine headache problem. And number two, even if it were, I think the way we were solving it was incrementally better than reading a bunch of Amazon product reviews, but it wasn't sort of order of magnitude better. And I think what we tried to do with, you know, anthology and I think what, what I've seen with successful companies is they pick a problem that's really huge. Uh, you know, in our case, it's customer, it's, it's individuals, you know, being, uh, having a great career or, um, companies filling crucial roles. Like that is a big problem. Um, and then the way we solve it, we think is just fundamentally different than posting on a, on a job board or, or just emailing people on LinkedIn. And so Yabli didn't have that, you know, it was a, it was a problem, but not a big one. And the way we solved it was better, but not orders of magnitude better. Okay, so you no more money's coming in and suddenly I guess there's you're getting a maybe a a wake up call that now you guys 
really are in trouble. Um, what, what was the thinking? What were you guys thinking at the time? Were you already starting to think about a pivot? Uh, I know you had started the process of, of trying to sell the company. Um, so, so just walk us through a little bit in, in terms of what you guys were, were going through then. Yeah. So, um, we tried a lot of small pivots. So we took this consumer Q&A product sort of community. And I think one of the first big pivots was, I see a lot of consumer companies do this, is, oh, we'll, we'll white label it and we'll sell it to businesses. So the idea was, okay, Yably as a standalone uh, community platform can't isn't scaling and can't acquire customers at scale. Uh, but uh, uh, LL Bean or REI or you know FAO Schwartz or you know whatever some stores major retailers um, they may want a community, and uh, uh, we will sell the software to them, and they'll just pay us a monthly fee and. And the argument will be, look, we spent a million and a half dollars creating this platform and this software, but you, you don't have to do that. You can just pay us 10 grand a month and, you know, it'll be the same cost as one engineer, but you'll have the whole thing and we'll skin it and yada, yada. So we tried that and we actually got a keynote, uh, presentation opportunity at the, uh, retail federations like national conference and, and we thought that was going to be like our salvation. And, it, you know, I think we learned that it's enterprise sales is really hard, takes a long time. And, uh, you can't just take a, a, a failed B2C product and, and white label it and call it a B2B product. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then after that, we started trying other things. Like we said, okay, what about taking Yably, the Q and A and making a awesome, um, AMA, like a ask me anything, kind of like Reddit AMAs. What if we built an AMA platform that was like optimized for awesome AMAs? And so we built that and that did a little better than Yavli, but uh, still didn't break through. And I think at that point, we had a much higher bar for traction. So when the AMA product came out, it had a great first and second month and then it plateaued. And immediately after it plateaued, we did not do what we would have done in the old days, which is add like 20 new features, thinking that that was going to kind of turn the thing around. Um, I now believe that if you're fundamentally solving the right problem, even if your product is kind of hokey, but it's, it's, it's at least close enough, it should, it should have really good growth and good traction without you needing to go through like 50 iterations on the thing. So then the, we said, okay, AMA is not there. And then we tried um, a social planning service. Uh, we, we called it yab.ly, yabb.ly. And that was like a Q&A platform for your friends. Like, hey, where should we go to dinner and what movie should we see? It was kind of like social polling, if you will. That didn't go anywhere. And then eventually we ended up building Jobly. We had a lot of .ly domains. Um, <laughs> and that was a Q&A for um, 
to re- to be an alternative or a, a precursor to an on-site interview loop. So it'd be, you do it after your phone screen, but before. So it was like an AMA, but it was private. And the people on the hiring team could all ask the candidate questions and then they could privately annotate. They could ask video questions. And, and that was really cool. Um, and then we last, another thing we had was called town hall, which was an AMA, a white label AMA for organizations to do like kind of virtual town halls. None of those things worked out. And so it was poachable was like the ninth thing that we built as a team. And honestly, we almost never built it because by the eighth prototype and after, you know, two years of kind of failure, um, the team was, was ready to hang it up. And we had a, we had an offer to buy the company and our investors were going to make money. And, you know, we, we were ready to sort of, uh, declare victory and, and move on. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, it was a long, arduous, winding road to get to uh to poachable <laughs> how how long were yeah it sounds like quite quite a uh, roller coaster right um how long were you going through this process of these mini pivots over what period did that happen and 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 how long were you giving each pivot or idea before you said okay this isn't going to work let's move on to something else so I think we started it um we started it probably in January of 2014 when we kind of realized okay the the holiday shopping season is over and we didn't grow the way we wanted to despite having I think we actually uh did a partnership with Consumer Reports which in the US is like a very large uh publication that reviews products and stuff and um so by January, we're like, okay, we're not going to be able to raise money for Yabli. And Yabli's not taking off. We need to try some other stuff. And I think the amount of time we spent per experiment, you know, might have been like, I want to say like around a month. Like we didn't give them that much time. And I think the, the logic was at this stage of the game, if we're going to raise any more money, we need something that's going to that's going to show traction almost immediately because no one's going to believe us if we say, Hey, just give us another two years of runway and we'll figure it out because that's kind of what we did with Yabli and we didn't get anywhere. So, and the team it wasn't just the investors. The team was, was not interested in another, you know, 40 years in the desert. Like we, we were, we hmm. were tired too. And so we said, well, if we're not going to sell the company and we're going to keep going, we better have something really good. And so, you know, some experiments were, I think our shortest one was uh, this uh, used car service idea that we had where we could help people sell their used car uh, in a more easy and, and, and safer way than through Craigslist. And then we, we did some quick research and, and penciled out the numbers and realized like we couldn't make it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't scale for us and the, the economics didn't look good. But then other ones like AMA was a two or three month. We let that run and we run, and ran a lot of these in parallel. Cause one of the things that we had was a team that was very good at, at rapid prototyping. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I've been in, in product management for a long time, uh, at software companies. We had an amazing front end developer. We had an amazing designer and we had an amazing full stack, you know, slash back end guy. 
And, you know, the group of us, like we could spit out prototypes pretty much as fast as you could think of them. Um, and so, you know, I guess, uh, if, if Wayne Gretzky were, was watching, he would say, well, these guys are shooting left and right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so then eventually you said the ninth or about the ninth idea yeah. turned into anthology and the way you tested this idea from what I understand was super simple, right? You didn't spend a lot of time trying to build some sophisticated algorithm on the back end to try and match uh, employers with employees. Um, So what exactly did you guys do? Yeah, I think the original Yably team would have built the sophisticated algorithms and all that stuff. the sort of in survival mode running on fumes, sort of more seasoned Yably team. Uh, what we did was we bought a domain. We put a, a one page landing page up and it was, uh, you know, Hey, this is poachable. We do anonymous career matching. This is how it works. I think we said we have a sophisticated algorithm. I think we might have even said like artificial intelligence because we knew we were going to make the matches. So in a way, it was like even better than artificial <laughs> intelligence. And uh, and it was a form. And you would quote unquote create your profile by filling out a simple HTML form. I don't think it was a secure form even. I probably, we probably <laughs> didn't buy you know SSL certificates or anything. And it just sent me a mail with all of their information. And that was poachable, and that so was this is this did. is basically a page that somebody could have created in a hour or two. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and I, then, rem- I remember we, it was a, a a fierce debating point because uh, our front end dev, uh, you know, he was kind of like you know bored and and wanted to be challenged, so he wanted to use some new frameworks, and I was like, no, 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 just we just need a simple page. Let's just get this thing out ASAP. And I think we said if if we could get five friends to fill this out uh, in the next few days, then maybe we have something. But if the three of us, because that was like the core team, if we can't get five people to fill this thing out, then the, let's not do any more work on it. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was very, it was a, it was a one, a one page HTML file. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupos has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos that's sasclub.io slash b-o-o-p-o-s sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com now you didn't have any any employers signed up at that time right no no we we so we have this marketplace problem where there's like uh you know the chicken and egg thing and so at that time the theory was well if we get people to sign up once we have the people, we'll just go to the employers and say, hey, we have these great people and uh, 
will start with the members and, and members will attract employers. And uh, yeah, the, so the original model was we get these members and we email the employer and say, hey, you know, I know you're looking for um, uh, a front end developer and we have one that, you know, based on our algorithm would be a great match. Um, you know, would you be interested in, in connecting with them? And so that's, that's how we, we started, you know, in, in the first week. So what did you do to, to promote this page and, and what happened in the first week once you launched? Yeah. So that's where I think, uh, serendipity plays a big role. I tweeted out on the Yabli and my personal Twitter account. Hey, you know, uh, Yabli Labs is launching Poachable. Uh, it's this new way to do anonymous sort of career matchmaking. Uh, check it out. And then I think we, we even did an AMA on it, on Yavli. You know, we kind of tried everything we could. And a, a local tech blog called GeekWire um, saw the tweet and then emailed me, I think like that night, and said uh, the the reporter Taylor, he's like, Hey, I saw you're doing poach bowl. Like, can you tell me more about it? It looks pretty cool. And I said, yeah, you know, it's this great idea, blah, blah, blah. And he wrote a story about it the next day. Uh, and then after that, we had a, a bunch of people fill out forms and then even some companies contact us. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we would have done poachable had he not done that story because I think after we got that initial push, uh, then we got another story in, uh, it was like fast company or something. And, uh, it just started to snowball. It was, it was amazing. Wow. So that's, that's a really fascinating point there about, um, whether you would have continued if you hadn't got that coverage and and i guess that um one maybe trap that maybe a, a lot of startups fall into when they when they're in the early stages of launching that business and trying to find product market fit is oh we just need to get coverage on techcrunch and everything will work out after that <laughs> right yeah and yeah. and i guess um you know, we probably know that that isn't the case. And in, in, in most cases, you're going to get probably, uh, uh, you know, uh, an influx of new signups and maybe people who aren't even your target customers who want to just out of curiosity figure out what your product is about. Um, but I guess this was a little bit different because it wasn't just signing up. I guess how much, how much information were you asking for when people? We were, yeah. So we were asking for a lot of sensitive information, like their current salary, the salary they would, uh, the minimum salary they would need to consider a move, the companies that they would want to work at, where they're working now, um, you know, their LinkedIn profile, public profile URL. Uh, their job function, you know, the current location, a lot of stuff. And it was ironic because at Yabli, we could not get anyone to even ask a question for free. 
you know, about <laughs> and here people were giving us all the stuff and we're like, whoa, that there goes, you know, there's an example of if you're solving a problem that people give a darn about, they will do things for you, even take a big chance, you know, with sensitive information. I, and I, I agree with your point that the, the companies that are like, oh man, if only TechCrunch would write about us, you know, we'd be a success. I think that's a dangerous model uh, and a dangerous assumption because, you know, that, that, that's sort of like a, a, a hit of crack, you know, like it might feel good right away, but it doesn't last. And, and then you, you know, you might even make a company that's dependent on that kind of coverage. Um, I think for us, what was unique was we launched the thing on July 8th and we were supposed to sell the company, I think on July 21st or something like that. So we didn't have a lot of time to get data to determine if this thing had legs or not. And, uh, uh, so the GeekWire article got us a lot of members very quickly, you know, literally on day two. And I'm I, I I'm sure we could have got people to sign up without that press coverage because we do today. Um, but I don't know if we would have been able to get enough people to sign up before the middle of July to have the de- decision about whether we should recapitalize a company or not. So I think in the long run, yeah, you can't hang your hat on press coverage. But in this example, we needed some uh, unnatural event to kickstart things to give us data in a matter of days and then and not weeks. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's also interesting that you guys, seems like you kept going, you know, one one idea after the other, trying to quickly validate, having a a much greater sense of urgency than maybe you had in the early days of Yabli. Um, and I guess if you'd got the GeekWire coverage and it had just been people signing up to give you an email address uh, to let them know when you launch would, would not have been as powerful as people giving you all of this, this personal information. Um, so it, it sounds like it, it became pretty clear very quickly that you were onto something that people needed. That's right. Yeah. I think if we had just done a squeeze page, which was like, notify me when you launch that all that would approve was that we can collect emails. I think we purposely asked for very valuable information and we were not afraid to have multiple fields on that form because we said, we have to we have to avoid false positives, and um, so we said let's have a high bar. Let's ask them how much they're making. Let's ask them how much it would take. Let's ask them where they're working. All this stuff, and because they were willing to fill all of that out, it gave us a lot more confidence that oh this this is something. We might have hit something here. Um, so that's that's kind of how we thought about it, and and I think one of the lessons learned there is. You know, you have to be willing to ask for the business. Like a lot of people don't ask for the business because they're afraid that the person will say no. Uh, even with, with Poachable in the early days, like we had this, you know, kind of unusual pricing model. And I think deep down inside, 
it was priced really low because we were afraid if we priced it higher, people would say no. And you have to resist that because you're not trying to just get traction for its own sake. You need to demonstrate real, sustainable, valuable traction. And you'd rather have, you know, a thousand customers paying you real money than 10,000 emails that are worthless. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, w- I want to just kind of recap on, on what we've talked about here. And, and earlier we had, had this conversation about, you know, the pendulum sort of swings in two directions. One is, um, telling startups that they need to pivot quickly and, and figure out what that next idea is. And on the other end, you've got people giving advice like if you never give up, you can't fail. And the question becomes, well, how long do I keep going before uh, I have to give up or I have to pivot? So um, for someone listening who maybe is in that position right now, is there any advice that you would give them to on what they could start thinking about or or start doing to to help figure out how when is the right time to to make that pivot yes it's a it's a really kind of a com- a conversation i'm very passionate about because i i kind of did it the wrong way for a long time and i think a lot of us are who go and our founders, um, we want to show that we have grit and we want to show that we have tenacity, which is great. And I think you absolutely need both to survive and thrive. However, I think sometimes we mistake that for um, kind of blind faith in whatever idea you have. And so... Um, what happens is, you know, in the Yabli example, we were tenacious, but we just kept plugging away at, you know, consumer Q&A for product decisions. And we were not willing to challenge assumptions. Like we had, we basically had a sacred cow and that was that the world needs Quora meets consumer reports. And we weren't willing to say maybe the world doesn't. And I think the reason we weren't willing to do that was honestly, because we would have had to admit that we weren't as smart as we thought we were. And then we'd have to admit that we were wrong. And secondly, I think we wanted to avoid sounding like we were quote unquote giving up. I think I even remember, you know, someone saying to me, Oh, well, you're giving up, you know, like it's like this bad thing. And I think the, the, the better way to look at it is you have to be tenacious. And you have to be persistent about building a business, a real meaningful business. But the actual product or service idea, like that doesn't need to be etched in stone. No one gets it right the first, second, usually even third time. Like it takes a number of iterations. It takes a number of kind of revolutions of, of the cycle. And, uh, and so, yeah, like, yeah, you don't have to give up uh, on yourself or on your company but it's okay and it's required to give up on features or products or businesses or business models that aren't working. Because generally, if it is working and you do have fit, you'll know it. So I think it's about getting as quickly as possible to your f- validation in, in terms of either 
uh, first dollar, first paying customer, or somebody who's willing to give you some type of currency to show that your idea is solving a problem that's important enough, like you were doing with asking for all this this personal information. And and it reminded me of uh, the guys at Optimizely. And, and I had Pete Kuman, the co-founder of Optimizely, here on the show um, back on episode 56. He explained that with uh, their first business, it took them about six months to get from idea to first dollar. Um, and that business didn't work out eventually. Then their second business, which also failed, took them about a month and a half to get from idea to first dollar. But the third time when they launched Optimizely, they they went from idea to revenue in one day and, <laughs> and got people, to, you know, got this validation that people were willing to pay for it before they even built anything. Mm. And I think that there's a really valuable lesson in doing that. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head that, Sometimes it's just easier to build the product because we're afraid to ask in case they say no. And and then it just destroys everything. It destroys this great hope and idea and dream mm-hmm. that we have about building this this product and business. Yeah. You, it, there's always, oh, this next feature, that's going to change everything. And, you know, usually if you can't get some traction in the first few features, adding another 20 or 30 is not going not gonna to move that needle. Uh, so I totally, uh, can, can, can relate to the optimizely kind of pattern where, you know, when you have something good, um, people gravitate to it very quickly. And, you know, even when you tell friends about your business, there's like a few different kinds of responses. One is like, oh yeah, Hey, that sounds cool. And that generally means like, they're not going to use it and they're just being nice. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And then there's like, no way. Like what, wait, what is the, what is the URL? Like I, how do I sign up? That's the reaction you want. And, uh, if you have a great idea, even if it's poorly executed, it will get traction. The worst is people, uh, like, like me in the early days where we were really good at executing bad ideas. <laughs> and you, you can, you can always get a little bit of traction. Someone said to me once, I've never seen a completely bad business. You know, like there's always some silver lining. Like you can always find some data or get some customer to send you some fan mail. Like, oh, I love your product. But uh, ultimately, you got you to gotta keep it real. And, and the, the graph you need to look at is, uh, you know, week over week users or week over week, ideally week over week revenue. Yeah. All right, Tom, it's uh, now time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you uh, a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Uh, let's do it. All right. Uh, what's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? The best piece of business advice, uh, I heard an interview with someone else where they talked about your luck surface area. And the concept was like, you have to put yourself out there in order for you to catch lucky breaks. So as an example, I used to never go to like networking things because I just, I'm actually a little bit of an introvert uh, in group situations. 
But if you don't go, you're not going to, you know, randomly run into the reporter or run into the investor or the potential customer. So your job is to give yourselves as many opportunities to catch that lucky break uh, as you can. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Uh, I've been listening to the audio book for a company called, um, na- uh, for a book called Nail It uh, and Then Scale It. And it's not sort of groundbreaking, but it's very comprehensive and kind of walks through uh, basically the whole kind of uh, process from finding market fit to scaling. And uh, it's by uh, Paul Alstrom and uh, Nathan Furr. And so I, I enjoy that. Nail it, then scale it. Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Um. I think a successful entrepreneur has to be honest with him him or herself that you have to call BS on yourself. And when things aren't working, uh, we're generally pretty smart, creative people. We can always make excuses, but you have to kind of keep it real and call a spade a spade. And if something's not working, you got to you got to take action and and be truthful to yourself, even when it's kind of hard to uh, to say the words. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, I'm a big fan of Mailbox, the uh, the email app. Um, I love how I can triage my inbox and snooze mails for various points in time. It's I've never gotten to zero inbox uh, prior to having Mailbox, so uh, it's fantastic. I I highly recommend it, and and those features have been cloned by by. Google and, and Microsoft uh, in their own mail, mail apps. But I still, I still think Mailbox does a really uh, wonderful job of making it very um, pure and simple. What, what's another business idea or, or something crazy that you have in your head that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Oh, man. Um, you know, I was, just, <laughs> I was just talking to my co-founder about our next startup uh, which might not be for five or 10 years, but, um, you know, I, I think the, uh, I like what DraftKings and some of these other guys are doing for fantasy football betting. And I think it would be kind of fun to create, uh, betting platforms that, uh, apply to other types of, of things. Uh, and I know there are companies, I think in Ireland that do that, but, um, generally, like, wouldn't it be great to make it very easy for a small group of people to have a, 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 a micro version of uh, a fantasy football, but for other types of activities and, and uh, pastimes? Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Um, let's see. Uh, they probably don't know that... Um, I'm a political junkie and that I probably consume two to three hours of political news a day. And, uh, I've been watch, I watch two or three Sunday news shows every, every Sunday. And, uh, I used to want to go into politics, uh, wow. b- before I knew, before I, I got smarter. <laughs> you better. Yeah. 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 Cool. And finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, probably uh, raising my two sons with my wife. I have a, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And, you know, 
all the stuff that we're talking about for businesses is, is super interesting and challenging and important. But, um, you know, when your son looks up to you and, and he says, you know, you're my best friend, daddy, uh, it awesome. just, you know, it blows everything else away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My kids told me you are putting on weight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've heard that too. I've heard that too. Yeah. <laughs> and I would have never guessed that you were a bit of an introvert. Um, you know, I saw the, uh, the video that I mentioned earlier before we started recording about you on MSNBC and, and going and doing the, the pitch at the South by Southwest accelerator. Um, and you know, you mingling in different places. And I was like, you know, you, you didn't come across as an introvert. So, um, very, oh, you know, those scenes were extremely painful for me inside. <laughs> I was, I was dying inside. <laughs> uh, I, I hear you. I'm just like that too. It's just, I, I kind of just cringe at those group situations and, uh, um, but the funny thing is that once, once you get into those situations and you just sort of get over, you know, thinking about yourself and just try to just, just have conversations with people, I, I kind of fi- find myself, it's like, oh, actually, I'm having a bit of fun here now. But, uh, it's actually getting there in the first place that I find, uh, I'm more uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, in fact, someone else told me another piece of advice about that that has been amazing. And he said, you know, if you tell yourself before you go to the event, that everybody here is excited to meet me. Everybody here wants to talk to me. Uh, and you go in with that mindset, it makes it so much easier. Because I think in the past, I would go to these things, I'll be like, oh my God, nobody's going to want to talk to me. They're going to find me not that interesting. And oh, I don't fit in here. But when you kind of change your mindset, it changes your body language, you give off a different vibe, and it makes those group events a lot easier. So I highly recommend that approach. It's a little bit of a a mind game you play with yourself before you you walk into the the ballroom. (laughs) That's a great tip. All right. So if folks want to find out more about Anthology or or they want to go and uh, register... Uh, they can go to anthology.co. Uh, and if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at Tom L. Uh, they can also follow Anthology at, at Anthology. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, Twitter is a good way. I generally respond to people who tweet at me. So if there's anything I can do to be helpful uh, to the audience, just uh, hit me up. And you you have a podcast as well. So if you want to give a shout out for that, and maybe people interested in listening to that too. Oh, how nice of you. Yeah. So we, we just started a podcast uh, a month ago. It's called uh, Anthology Career Stories. We have about 10 episodes now. And they're these long form interviews um, similar to this show, but it's more focused on uh, people's career decisions. And we track people from... A childhood all the way up to where they are now. And uh, so I just did an interview with someone who's like a VP of policy at the World Wildlife Foundation. And then I did another one of, uh, you know, a, a person who was a Yale law grad that then turned into a children's book author. And then I, I've interviewed a bunch of entrepreneurs and kind of walked through like their uh, career arc, if you will. Uh, and obviously it relates to what we do uh, at Anthology. So it's a nice tie in. So I'll include a link to that in the show notes. So if people want to check that out, they can do that as well. Tom, it's been a pleasure. I, I really enjoyed this chat. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that you guys were able to, to figure out, 
the right business to that was going to get you the traction that you guys needed. And I think it's a really inspirational story as well about not giving up and and how um, you know persistence and and some creativity and and maybe just uh, you know a little a um, little bit of luck, know, a little bit of <laughs> luck, you know, all, all come together and. Um, you know, and, and, and has, has resulted in, in a, a successful outcome. So I wish you guys all the best and, um, you know, um, you know, hope to stay in touch. Well, thanks for having me, Omer. It was a great conversation and I look forward to uh, talking again in the future. Cool. Thanks again. Cheers. Take care. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.